בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, חג שמח, תזכו לשנים רבות טובות ונעימות. We are doing the זרע שמשון, חג סוכות חול המועד on הושענה רבה. Tonight we're doing the דרוש זין of פרשת האזינו, the seventh דרוש פרשת האזינו of the זרע שמשון, who interestingly talks about the war of גוג ומגוג. which is, we know it's the Haftarah that we read on Chol HaMoed Sukkot. We read the Haftarah today of the war of Gog and Magog. So it's, it's, a, it's a good time to talk about it a little bit. And the Zerah Shimshon has a beautiful um, uh, perush on it. So let's dig in. So he says, In Yan Gog and Magog, the concept of the war of Gog and Magog. So that's just a small little introduction. Gog and Magog, the war of Gog and Magog, there is a, basically Navi Yechaskel talks about at the end of, in the end of days, Gog is a king, his name is Gog, Magog is his people, the name of his people. So when they say Gog and Magog, it's not that Gog fights Magog, it's the king Gog and Magog and his people, and or the people, let's put it that way. And in the end of days, All these people are going to team up together to form Magog, so to speak, with the king Gog, and they're going to wage war against Israel, wage war against B'nai Israel. And Navi Yechezkel depicts a picture of how successful this war will be and how miraculous the war will be that B'nai Israel are going to win the war against all these nations. And then it's going to be a huge sanctification of Hashem's name. And that's basically Yemei Moshiach. Bezrat Hashem bimhera v'yamenu amen. Which nation is God now? So we don't know which nation Gog is. What we do, and you'll see from here, what we do know is that Gog is going to be from the nation of Yafet, mostly. So Greeks, Europeans, Greeks. But then again... That doesn't mean that it's Greek today. It's Greece today. Because these nations have been mixed up for so long already. You never know. You, you don't know who it is. You know, like Adom, that you don't know who it is. Amalek, you don't know who it is. You know, at one point Amalek was supposedly, you know, Adom and the children of Esav. And then now it could be, God knows, it could be completely in the Middle East. We don't know. עניין גוג ומגוג, so the concept of גוג ומגוג, בוודאי הוא דבר סתר. He says, for sure, certainly, it's something that is very hidden and Kabbalistic. It's very deep. It's not some, okay, war that's going to happen at the end of the days. It's definitely, there's a lot of depth to it, that's for sure. ויש בו סוד, and it has many, many secrets. אבל נעיין בו לפי הפשט. But let's try to figure some of it out. Let's, yes, on the surface, let's try to kind of bring out some of its, you know, interesting points here. Because if you really think about it, seemingly contains some questions, some questionable things. Because it says, if the purpose of, as uh, the Yefetuar, it's a sefer, writes in his commentary on Midrash Rabbi, he says, if the, if the purpose is, uh, in Parashat Shemini, if we say that the purpose of the war of Gog and Magog is to, to make B'nai Israel wealthy, if the entire war, the purpose is for the wealth of B'nai Israel, and to bring retribution and revenge from the wicked people of the world, Kashet, this is there, definitely very difficult to understand. Because at the end of the war, it says, at the end of the war with Gog, Gog and Magog, B'nai Israel are going to come out very wealthy. All of their wealth is going to be captured by B'nai Israel. Right? So already that's a question. Like all of this, we have to go to war at the end of days so that we become cares, wealthy. Exactly, who cares? Like, Really? Thank you. What, what I need, first of all. Second of all, he's going to ask, he's like, why go to war? 
Hashem, if you want to if you, if, if you beat them, you can beat them yourself. If you want to give us money, you can give us money. Why, why does there have to be even a war? He says, nothing, nothing prevents HaKadosh Baruch Hu to make Bnei Israel rich and wealthy without all of this. And if you say that it's really to take revenge on these Rashaim, What's the need? Why does it have to be this? And what does it need to be with all these nations teaming up against Bnei Israel in this matter to come upon us? If it's really already the end of the world, right? The way, meaning um, the time of Moshiach, and all the wicked will cease to exist, they're all going to perish. And only the Jews will remain with those that have converted. Converts, meaning, I think here by converts it means that even those that decided to join Manasar, that doesn't mean that they had converted from before. There are those that decide, there are, you know, those that were righteous in the world also remain, right? Thus, there's no greater retribution, there's no greater revenge than this. So what's gained by having these people's deaths come about through a military fight, a war, by the hands of the Jewish people, right? They're all going to die. All the wicked are going to perish. So what's, what's the use of having this huge war? To do what? What's the point of it? But that's not the end of it though. Ve'od. And further difficulty. What is the meaning of the pasuk in Yechezkel? It says, Ve'itkadishti le'inei koim goim rabbim ve'yade'u. Ve'chula. I will be exalted and I will be sanctified, meaning I will be known before the eyes of many nations. And then the rest says, then they will know that I am Hashem, so on and so forth. That's the pasuk. So it says, im sof kulam lamut. Again, if at the end they're all going to die, <laughs> right? So they're not going to really be alive to attest to Hashem's greatness. Ve'af otam sheikhyu. And those that will live will remain alive. From the greatness and exaltness of Bnei Israel, they will know the greatness of Akadosh Baruch Hu. They'll know the greatness of Hashem. As, as, we, say, as we say every single day, He and His name will be one, meaning the rest of the world. Everybody else that remains at the time of Moshiach will know from the greatness of Bnei Israel, greatness of Akadosh Baruch Hu. So again, what will be accomplished by this war of Gog and Magog? So now another similar question. Ve'od ketiv betzfania. Another Navi says it's written in Navi Sefania. It says in Sefania, that Hashem declares then, Ki az el amim safa berura. I will, for then I will change the nations to speak a pure language. So that they can, it says, so that they can proclaim Hashem's greatness and worship Him. So you have to wonder, what is there a need for this war in order to achieve the unity of these nations? Because we say <coughs> that when Moshiach comes, <coughs> that when Moshiach comes, uh, a fox, uh, uh, um, uh, a wolf, a wolf, and 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 a, and a 
and a sheep will dwell together, right? So if it's already going to be this way in the time of Moshiach, right? What is the need for this war? All negativity, all evil will be erased from the world. Only tov will remain. Only goodness will remain. So if all of this is going to happen, why do we need a war of Gog and Magog? You know, all of Hashem's name will be exalted through the greatness that He, that he brings into the world with B'nai Israel. And I share a joke with you. Rabbi Vadya Zatzal shared, said one time, a, a, because it came up here, <laughs> this pasuk, says uh, one time an Orthodox Rav gets invited by a non-affiliated synagogue of non-believers. He was a good speaker. They wanted him to be a, spe a lecturer for them, right? So he accepts the offer. Sure, why not? He comes and the board of directors of this, of this community or synagogue uh, they tell him, listen, Rabbi, you know, we're, we're ha glad to have you here, but we got to tell you, we got some rules and regulations here. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Just don't talk about Moshiach and stuff. We don't believe in these things. Right? So he says, okay, fine. So he starts this lecture. He's talking and people are just drinking in the information. He's, he's giving a beautiful drasha comes towards the end of the drasha, and we know most chachamim, when they want to end their drasha, it always ends with, and we should be zochet to be at Moshiach Tzidkenu, bimherav yamenu, and he realizes he can't say this, because they, they don't believe in it, they don't want to hear it, right? So he says, and I'd like to finish with a parable before I leave. He says, one time, there was a hungry fox, really, he was starving, he was looking for food, and he came fine, and he sees a rooster, little distance away and he starts crouching and he starts running at it and the rooster was too smart finds out the fox is coming starts running and kind of like flies a little bit and jumps onto a tree uh, tree branch and he sits up there like Coo -coo -coo, you know and the fox at the bottom of the tree says my love why are you running away he says what are you crazy you're a fox you're chasing me you want to rip me apart he goes no haven't you heard Moshiach is here, right? And he says, You know, a wolf lives comfortably with a, with a sheep. We're all friends now. As he's saying this, there's a pack of dogs coming. He could hear the sound of the dog. And the, and the fox is terrified. And he starts running for his life, right? Ten minutes, ten minutes pass. And the dogs go away, the fox comes back and he sees the rooster still on the tree. He says, sweetheart, I thought I told you, Moshiach is already here, you don't have to be afraid, I just want to talk, I want to hug you. He says, really, Moshiach is here, why did you run so fast when the dogs came? He goes, ah, these dogs are non-believers. They don't believe in Moshiach. <laughs> you know... You know, second, you know, in Persian it feels, uh, anyway. <clears throat> so he says, so basically, why do we, the Zerashim Shon is saying, why do we need this war? <coughs> if, as Tzfania says, the only thing that will remain is good, is Tov, why do we need a war to bring this out? Now, in Sefer Yechezkel, when he's talking about the war of Gog and Magog, as an introduction here, it says that the slain warriors, the killed warriors of, the, of, of Gog's ar armies are going to have proper burial. It's a very interesting thing to even put in there, right? That it says at, at the end of the war, when Bnei Israel beat the Gog's army, they're going to deserve, they're going to get a proper burial by Bnei Israel. Now, it's another interesting thing that's put, put there. Like, again. They say Shema before they die. I, I, it's, I, I, why? Right? But what is it? The Chachamim say that it's due to the fact about something that happened thousands of years ago. And he's going to discuss this. <clears throat> because... The nation of Gog is going to be a direct descendant 
of Yafet. Yafet was Noah's son, whom became the forefather of mainly uh, Yavan, the Greeks, right? And Yafet was the one who, did, who respected his father when Noah came out of the Teva and he got drunk. And when he got drunk, his naked was showing. It was Yafet that had the idea of going backwards and covering his father. And because of that, he gets a special treat that at the end of days, he's going, his people are going to, when they go out to war against Ben Israel to destroy Ben Israel, and they lose, they get proper burial. Even though they were the enemy. Well, we'll talk about all of this. We'll talk it. We'll talk it. Says another difficulty. Like how many difficulties we bring on top of each other? How many questions? Says another difficulty is on a midrash on Parashat Noah. Because Yefet covered his father's nakedness, his descendants, descendants of Yefet, merited burial. As it says in the Pasuk, in Yahizgel, and you shall give, I will assign Gog a burial plot there, a burial place there. That's in Yechezkel. Even the Yefetuar, which is another commentary, also asks over there, over there he says, because I don't understand. It seems that they're being really buried because of the stink, the stench of, of, of their bodies that are just lying there and it makes such a foul odor. That's why they're being buried. So why does the Midrash indicate that this burial is? No, it's because of a zikhut that they have, right? The odd, furthermore, shegam b'neshem kulam, that the marriage should have also extended to the descendants of, as you said, Shem. But it doesn't. All of them should be buried. On the contrary, we find in, in, in the treatment of the evildoers, even among the Jewish people who descended from Shevet, from, not Shevet, from which son of Noah? Shem. Right? It says that it is they, they will not be gathered and they will not be buried. Even the children of Shem will not be buried. Those that were evil, they're not going to be buried. So it, it just, it's, so it's all a big question here. It seems that the children of Yefet, the descendants of Yefet have a special treatment when it comes to the Kivurah at the end of days, when others do not, even children of Shem, which we come from, right? So it says, even the Reshaim of Am Yisrael do not deserve, at that time will not get a proper burial. But the children, the descendants of Yefet will, which is extreme. But Shem, but Shem had Abraham, Abraham had uh, Right, right. Shem also, of course. <coughs> Shem has a, a, a much, a, also a broad descendant. We're not the only descendants of Shem. Right? But he, he brings down, he says, yes, Bnei Israel also. Even the evil ones of Bnei Israel that are not going to make it through the war, when Moshiach comes, they're not going to get proper burial either. Which is a, a huge question. But Shem is supposed to be the Semites, Arabs and Jews. Right. It's not broad. I mean, I, I, there are other nations that later on kind of branched off of there too. It's, I don't... Not necessarily only Arabs and Jews. The same Semites. Just Abraham that came from Shem. Others came from Shem. Right. But I don't think someone that, someone that hates, let's say, uh, someone that has baseless hatred towards Arabs is called an anti-Semite. Semite... <laughs> Semite is, is exclusively uh, 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 targeted towards Jews. Right? But other people came from Shem. Other people rose. 
Be that as it may, we have a few difficulties here in this in, in, in the whole episode of the story of the war of Gog and Magog. What is the war of Gog and Magog called? It's Armageddon, right? That's what we call it? Armageddon. Right. Yo. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it because Magog... Don't try to make sense of it. Does it make huh. sense how these people like Yavad, Madai, Magog, they all come from Yafet and they married burial? Does it make sense? That's what we're discussing here. I don't still doesn't make sense. No, no, no. That's why we're discussing it. Because on the surface, it doesn't make sense. That's what we're asking. How come? Right? And there's a, just, these are just the surface questions. You know, the Zashim Shon is saying all of these things have Kabbalistic secrets behind them. The whole war of Gog and Magog is very sodit. It's very secretive. But he says these are on the surface. Let's discuss some of the things on the surface. Even on the surface, it seems it's not so simple. Right? Why, does, why do they get... Why do we have the war altogether? You weren't here when we discussed that part. We even asked, like, why do we have to have the war of Gog and Magog? For what? If Hashem wants to destroy our enemies when Mashiach comes, okay, do it. Why does it have to be such a huge war? If it's because you want to sanctify your name, they're all going to be dead. Right? So, they're not going to be able to say, oh God, you are, no, they're, they're dead. So again, why we have this war? And then we went into the proper burial of, of, of Gog. Why do we have the proper, why, why do they merit this and no one else does? All right. Who's going to bury them? We are. We are. The Jews. We are. That's what it seems. That's the Jews have the responsibility of proper burial of Gog. Gog and Magog, the people of Gog. Gog is the king. Magog is their people. So it seems, it seems here at the end of days, we don't have that chiyuv anymore. I had that same question, but he brings down, he says the, the Jews, even the Jews that are from Shem, that were wicked, that are Shaim, that did not survive, you don't have the mitzvah of burial, which is interesting, it's definitely interesting. Who do you call evil? Jewish. Who do you call a Jew that is yeah. Russia? One that denies Hashem's existence. Or <clears throat> I would they say. No, you're Jewish no matter what. No, I think I think I think we would go with the Rambam, where he says the thirteen fundamental beliefs of a Jew, in order to. In order to deserve tchiatametim, right? In order to be, so there's thirteen, no? So one of them is you have to believe in Moshiach. A Jew that doesn't believe in Moshiach is a very big problem. Believing that Hashem is one, and there is no other. Believing is that in Moshe emet, betorato emet, is one of them. You know, Ma'asemir uh, the, the, the man, right? The, all of these things. <coughs> the Rambam says a person that does not believe in these things is on the border of not even being considered a Jew, right? So, uh, however, however, there is a cherry on top of this. This is when a person blatantly disregards these things with the knowledge of these things. Meaning, if a person is just, has no knowledge of these things. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just, they've never been taught any better. Right? You wouldn't consider those people Rashaim, wicked. A wicked person is that, they know about, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll give you a mashal. This is a true story, but it's been used as a mashal for centuries, I think. As, um, one time, there was a person that wanted to be a kofer ba'ikar. He was a kofer, kafar. He didn't. He was. He was a, a heretic. And um, he wanted to live as a kofer. So he goes and asks around, 
It says one, uh, the, the, one of the, uh, the, the, the uh, I think the Rav of the town tells him, if you really want to be a kofer, you can go to so-and-so's house. He lives at the edge of the forest someplace. And you could join his uh, group of kofrim. Cult. Cult, whatever you want to call it. Here, one second. Okay. We just disconnected for a second. He goes to this person's house, he knocks on a door, and um, the wife comes and opens the door and says, how may I help you? He says, I'm here to see, to meet, let's say, Herzl HaKofer. You know, his name was, let's say his name was Herzl HaKofer. So she says, uh, please, you have to wait a little while. My husband's in the study, he's learning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, maybe he's learned, I don't know what he's learning. But he sits for like an hour, two hours, three hours. Then this guy comes out of the study. He says, I'm here <clears throat> because they've told me you're the, you're the kofer, you're the <clears throat> heretic of the generation, and I want to learn from you. I want to I live like you. So he says, okay, so tell me, what do you know? He says, what do you mean, from, of, of what? He says, um, what do you know, Mishnayot, Gemara, what do you know? He says, what, what Mishnayot Gemara? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm here because I don't want to know this stuff. I'm here because I, I want to be a kofi. I don't believe in these things. She says, what are you? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> you imbecile. If you don't know any Mishnayot, you don't know any Gemara, you don't know any Alakha, you don't know the Torah, then what are you being a kofi to? First you have to learn all of it. You have to know all of it. Then you have to go against it. If you don't know nothing about it, what are you going against? You're just an idiot. That's all you are, right? I am a kofir because I've learned all of it and I choose to go against it. But I know all of it. And I still learn it. You, you're just an imbecile. You just want to put your head in the sand like a, like a, like a you know, what do you call them? These ostriches. So that's, <clears throat> that's who we're talking about. A kofir is somebody that knows the value of Shabbat. Knows that is an isur de oraita to be mechalel Shabbat. Knows, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the concept of onish, of punishment and reward, I don't know. And still decides to drive on Shabbat. Publicly. And honk at people. You know? So That's... He's an atheist and this guy is an agnostic. You don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, you can tie them all together and put them on one boat. Today's day and age, Mamash, the Rambam, like the Rambam says. Rambam says, if you cannot find Hashem through science, you don't know anything. The Rambam says, all you need to do is look around you and you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in everything. In everything. So you have to be a, a, a you know, you have to... Can you also say that existence of God and proof of it you should not delve into it because you can't get it. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. That is not what he's talking about. The Rambam talks about philosophically going backwards into finding the reason behind the existence of us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But There's no time for me to get into it now. But if you go deep enough and you dig deep enough, you will be found with certain questions that you can't find the answers to. You'll drive yourself crazy. So the Rambam says, it's very simple. There are certain things in life that do not have any answers. And the more you try to look for them, the more you drive yourself crazy. So don't bother. Right, for instance, one of them is, the Mesilat Yesharim brings down. He says, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu create this world and put man in it? In order for man to be able to grab more mitzvot, and to be able to bask in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu through these mitzvot. To find favor in Hashem's eyes. So Hashem really created this world out of chesed for us. Right? So don't create the world. Help us bask in your presence without this world. Don't do bread of shame though. Right? Uh, bread of shame. Okay, so take away shame. Shame is a concept created by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Take away shame. All these things you could still ask on. So Ramam says, you go too far. Huh? You would not 
not feel like we, we deserve it. Even that. Even that, that feeling is, is, is a manifestation of something that Hashem has put into our minds. The Rambam says, that's what I'm talking about. The more you delve into these questions philosophically, you will find that you're only, you're not getting there. You could still ask on the answer. Just there are certain things you can't find answers to. And really the answer is, Hashem did it because He wanted to. Because he can and he wanted to. Certain things have, is left without an answer. Very simple. There are many things in the world that have no answers. We don't bother about them. Right? Well, so that's what... We don't understand. That's why the Rambam is saying. Rambam says, our brain does not have the capacity to understand it. Therefore, you will literally drive yourself crazy. Because you will not be able to comprehend the issue. It's something that is too far out of reach of our minds, right? Prime example of it is I always ask people, you know, close your eyes, imagine nothing. Can you do it? Why not? Close your eyes, imagine nothing. Can you do it? Absolutely nothing. Can you do it? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, you're not letting me. I'm afraid if you close your eyes long enough, you'll fall asleep. <laughs> you can't. No one can. You know why? Because we don't have a concept of nothing. We've never... It's not that. Right, but that's not what it is. We don't know what nothing is. We've never had a concept of nothing. Everything around us is something. Even that dark black hole you see in your mind is darkness. That's something. We don't have a concept of nothing. Right? So the Ramam says there's certain things we cannot comprehend because we don't have the concept. Everything our brain has is from either experience or, or, or lifestyle, something. It's always something. So there are certain things we don't have concepts of because we, we've never experienced it. We don't know. Our brain does not have the capacity of it. So there's certain questions that go so far out that the answer is just not within reach. I cannot understand how it could be. I think it's, I love, it's like, it's so deep yet so clear. Right? All right, let's get now back into the Zera Shimshon and the answer we were searching for. So he says, we may explain. Listen to this, it's gorgeous. What is the time of Gogo Magog? It is the time of Tigun Ha'olam. It is the last moments when the world will be reaching completion and perfection. That is the time. Kedusha, holiness, wants to separate itself from the Kelipa. Kelipa is the negative energies, negative forces in the world, right? Kelipa, technical translation of Kelipa is the peel. You know, like a peel of an orange, huh? Like, like peels, right? But Kelipa, in this essence, means the negative energies that cover things up. Kedusha in the world wants to separate itself from the Kelipot, wants to separate itself from all negativity in the world, negative energies. All the sparks of holiness that this world has absorbed, to gather all in all the sparks of holiness that had been banished, and to collect all the scattered nitzotzot, scattered positive redushot that are in the world, have to be gathered at this time. So in reaction to this, because of this, this kelipa will marshal all of its strength to keep the kedusha within. Because it's a survival. Because the Kelipa, the negative energies, only survive from Kedusha. They get their energies from Kedusha. Because negativity does not have energy of its own. The Yetzar Hara, where does he get his energy? From the Kedusha within us. 
That it's, it's fighting power. Everything negative in the world receives its power from nitzotei kedusha, from sparks of positivity that we have. To retain whatever sparks, meaning this, the kelipa will fight with its last remaining strength to keep whatever it can from with, uh, of the kedushot within. And therefore, it will make this war, it'll wage this war with the holiness. And because these um, sparks, of Kedusha have been scattered within the 70 nations of the world, which are represented, which are represented by the 70 souls that went into Mitzrayim. They divided into, then from there, the world divided into 70 different nations. It says, therefore, if you look, Gog, Umagog, the Gematria is 70. To tell you To tell you that the entire world will be joining in in this war. The 70 nations will unite to fight Am Yisrael in this war. Because they want those nitzotot. Okay, what are these nitzotot that we're talking about? Just a little tiny introduction here. <clears throat> During the exile of Am Yisrael, holiness... Sparks of holiness scattered throughout the world. Meaning instead of being in one place with Am Yisrael, all of these nitzotot, they dispersed into the world. This is all when they were in Mitzrayim? In Mitzrayim and when we came out. Therefore, it was ordained, part of the reason it was ordained by Kadosh Baruch Hu, that the Jews have to go into Galut, to the four corners of the world, scattered all over. Why? Because we need to be able to collect these nitzotot, the last remaining ones, and then that's why, if you look in history, we've always been moving. Why? Because as soon as those nitzotot are finished, we're exiled somewhere else. It's done. No more nitzotot there. There's nothing for us there. We go to the next place. There's nothing left for us in Germany. There's nothing left for us in Spain. We keep moving around to grab more of these nitzotot, to collect all of them. We gather them from all over the world until we have all of them. However, there's small inklings of them still left because that's what they get their power from. So at the war of Gog and Magog, all these 70 nations will unite for a last war to try to keep what they have. They're going to lose, but that's what the war is for. Their survival. Without the nitzotot of Kedusha. Which is what exactly? Like physical? physical? No, not, there's no physical. There's nothing physical. It's all spiritual. It's, it's, it's energies of holiness that maintains nations. For, in, for instance, for instance, we learned in Parashat Bo, I believe. I think you were in that Shi'ur also. I think it was Parashat Bo or Bishalah. Right? When Bnei Israel were coming out of Egypt, he's going to mention it here. We had collected all the nitzotot that Yaakov Avinu and his, and his children left in Egypt. Right? That's why Egypt was utterly destroyed. Why? Because there was nothing keeping them anymore. There was no nitzotot to be left there. So the nation Egypt basically ceased to exist. That's what happens. These nitzotot of Kedusha are basically the survival of each nation. Each nation must have them in order to survive. What is it exactly? So our presence in a certain region is what keeps the nitzotot? No, it's not our presence. It's the presence of these nitzotot in those regions that keeps them going. So why, is it so, why was Paro fighting so hard to get us back to Egypt? So, so you just answered your own question. The power wanted us to stay because. Yes, because when we leave, we take we gather it and we take it with us. 
so to speak, in some places, they were fighting for their survival, so to speak, in a sense, on a deep level. So what caused this necessity to go throughout the whole world? What did it cause? Did it well, cause because of Egyo? No, originally it was the Chet Adam Arishon. Originally that's what it was. When the children of Yaakov, they came, they took all of them with them. They took it, they, they took it, they were there, they took it to Egypt, and then when Bnei Israel came out of Egypt, they took it back. And we'll see something very interesting here. Ulfi, <coughs> now, as we said, So now we're going we're, we're gonna to delve something, into, a little bit into the answer of Yefet. Why, why Yefet had speci has special treatment when it comes to this. He says, And because Yefet earned merit, he had zechut for the fact that he covered his father's nakedness, Noach's nakedness, It was, so to speak, Mida uh, keneged mida, meaning um, measure for measure, measure for measure. Na asam malbush uchsut lerov hanitzotzot. Yefet merited to become the clothing of most of these nitzotzot, the covering of most of these nitzotzot. Meaning, most of the nitzotzot in today's world were gathered by yefet. They have most out of all the other nations. They merited to become the clothing, so to speak, of these nitzotzot. Why? Because they clo he clothed his father. Because of that, he merited his nation to have most of these nitzotzot that have been scattered around. They have most of it. They carried it. And the Zerah Shimshon says, they carried it well. I don't know what he means by it. I, don't, I, don't, I can't understand it. <coughs> but he brings from other people that says, the Yavanim did good in a certain way, in certain aspects, they did good. And it's, you'll see the proof of it, the evidence of it too. Because they became clothed, these Nitzotot became clothed by Yefet more than within the other nations. And because of this, the Gemara says in Megillah, it was generally, it was asur to translate the Torah into any language. But the Gemara says, except one language, Yevanit, Greek. Because it was a beautiful language, but more than that. It's more than that. So he's saying, why? Because the beauty of Yefet, it says, the Pasuk says, the beauty of Yefet shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Which is what? This language of Yevani, which was always known as a beautiful language. So just as the sparks of holiness became clothed by the Yevanim, the Torah itself was also translated into their language. And for this reason, <coughs> since, <coughs> since this war is a war for the fight of these sparks of holiness, which are embedded so much into Yavan, the head and the leader, which is the main primary per person of this war, Nigra Gog, he will be called Gog, Shehu Mizera Magog who is the descendant of Magog, who was what? The son of Yefet. As the Radak says in Navi Yecheskel. So you see, now we see why, now we see why more, I always had this question, you know, why was the Torah translated, translated into Greek before anything else? And certain, like, even the Megillah says in certain, there's Machloket, if, if you read the Megillah in Yevanit, are you Yotzer or not? 
The Megillah has to be read in Hebrew, right? But if you read the Torah in Yavanit, are you Yotzeh? If you read the Megillah, it's a question. So I was always like thinking, like, why is this even a question? Why is this even a question? Now we see why. They merited this because they got most of those Nitzotot. Why did they get most of the Nitzotot? Because they, Yefet covered his father. Because he covered his father, he merited to be the covering for these Nitzotzei Kedusha. And it's very interesting. I was thinking of this myself. Very interesting. What aspect, what was something that Yavanim always... Um, um, what was the pride of Yavan? What was, what was something that they... Physical, the, the physical beauty. Beauty, physical beauty. Yavan was always about physical beauty. Right? And he's saying that Yavan became what? The clothing over these nitzotot. What is the clothing of the neshama? The body. The body. The physical body is the clothing of the neshama. So it goes well together. Because they got so many of these nitzotei kedusha, they were, they, their outside was beautiful. And, they, and, and this is something that they really dwelled on. You know, the beauty of the human body. And Yevanim were no joke. I mean, these were people that many philosophers and thinkers of the, you know, the age of the Yevanim was a... Greek times. Greeks, so yeah. Because they were so respectful to the human body, so based off that, they reward that their bodies should be buried. He's, that's what he's going to speak about now. That's what he's going to speak about. Now, base. <clears throat> <coughs> so part of the reason, part of the reason why they're going to get buried also is because they they covered their Yefet covered his father. That's one of the zechutz. Now, now he's going to return to <coughs> the war of Gog Magog. And we said, I don't know if you were here when we were talking about it. it says that Bnei Israel would become rich, very wealthy from this war. Once the war would be, we would be victorious, all the wealth of the 70 nations goes to one nation, B'nai Israel. It would come out extremely wealthy. And we said like, why? And how? Who cares? Right? Number one. Number two, you want to make us wealthy? Why do we need the war? So we said why we need the war. Now what's the wealth all about? So he says, And the Jew, says, No. Bnei Israel will become wealthy specifically in this way by extracting all these sparks. This is beautiful how it matches. Answers another question. When Bnei Israel left Egypt, right? When Bnei Israel left Egypt, what does it say? Bnei Israel came out with much wealth. What's, what's the comparison here? When we left Egypt, our first exile, right? Wealth. Last exile, we come out with wealth. Now here's another thing. Here's another thing. I just... It also says that when the Egyptians chased after Bnei Israel, right? Over there too it says when, Bnei, when they chased after Bnei Israel and they were, they, they, they sank in the ocean and they were spit out by the ocean, they were also, they were also buried. Oh, we went over class with this, right? Wherever Hashem your Prophet of didn't want to feel nervous about something, so he gave a small portion of reward to give the rest by after. Right, but now he goes even deeper in this. He says, because when Bnei Israel came out of Egypt, as we said, they took all the Nitzotze Kedusha from Egypt, as we know, and this is the reason why they took all the money of Mitzrayim also. Because the true wealth Of Bnei Israel, when we came out of Egypt, was what these nitzotot. We gathered these sparks of holiness, and the material possessions that they acquired 
was an outward manifestation of this kedusha that we took. Just like we said the outward, outward manifestation of Yefet was their beauty, the outward manifestation of us collecting all the nitzotzot was by acquiring all of the wealth. Because in the spiritual world, the wealth in the spiritual world is, are these nitzotzei kedusha, these sparse of kedusha. So it manifests itself in the wealth. Why? Because the wealth of a nation, it's, it's being. When a nation has no wealth, it doesn't exist. Right? It, in halakha, it's brought down. A person that has nothing to their name, poor, 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 are considered in, in some ways dead. They don't exist. Here too, by the complete and utter destruction of Mitzrayim, by taking the Nitzotei Kedusha, which was on a spiritual level destroying them, they took their wealth because it comes with it on a physical level. Just like on a spiritual level they don't exist, they didn't exist anymore on a physical, material level either. Isn't it beautiful how it's like, wow. it's incredible. So the same thing would happen when Mashiach comes. Exactly. At the, end of the world. at the end of the world, when these 70 nations go to war for, the, for keeping their rights, so to speak, wanting to keep the Nitzotzeke Dushah, when they lose, they also lose on a physical level. So it manifests itself into the wealth. They lose their wealth. Beautiful. Beautiful. So he's, he goes even further. He says, therefore, wow, this is just, I, 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 you, you think you know everything, huh? It's getting more interesting. That's why. It says that Bnei Israel coming out of Egypt, we were ordered, we were asked to go and borrow uh, things from the Egyptians, borrow money and their, some other wealth from Egyptians. Why did we have to do this? Why do we have to? Davka, we had to go and borrow, not take. We had to go and ask them to borrow some things. Klekesef klezahav, gold and silver vessels from the Egyptians, we have to borrow from them. Why? If we're going to take everything, why are we borrowing? So listen to this. Because now, the Egyptians initially, how did they gain their wealth? They only had that wealth because of those nitzotot of Kedusha that remained there from the time of Yaakov Avinu. That's why Mitzrayim was the most powerful nation in the world. Why were they the most powerful nation in the world? Because of the Nitzotzot of the Kedushah that was there from the time of Yaakov Avinu, Yosef HaTzadik, all of them. Think about it. The most successful countries in the world in modern age. When did that success plummet? When they kicked us out. Right? So he says, Egyptians also had that wealth because of Bnei Israel. And then, obviously, the Egyptians could have kept it, but what did they do? They themselves chose to enslave Bnei Israel to make Bnei Israel suffer. It was their own doing. So you find here that their entire wealth was bound to this. Sparks of Kedushah. For the Jews to go and borrow some wealth from them on their way out. To make it known to them. That even the Mitzrayim themselves. It was to teach the, uh, the, the Egyptians also. The fact that you have this wealth was only lent to you also. You only have this length temporarily because, because of us. So Hashem said, I want you to go borrow, not take. Why? I want you to go borrow it from them so you can tell them, just like you borrowed it from us, we're borrowing it from you because it was only lent to you. It wasn't supposed to remain with you. It's not yours anyway. It was only for them to use. As long as they had those sparks with them, 
they were able to use the le- to, to use the wealth that they had. Umishum de Gaimalan. Now, since we may maintain, we understand. It's beautiful. We say what? Anything that was used for Kedusha has to be Gonez. We have to be we have to do Geniza, proper burial. Right? Anything that's used for holy matters, tefillin, things like that, they have to be buried. Right? Imken, therefore, connecting. So it says, Elu ha'umot shena'asutik uksut venartek le'otana nitzotzot ha'kedushot. Those nations that became a receptacle, a clothing, a covering for, for, these, for these holy sparks, yizku likvura v'yunignazin. They merit to a proper burial and genizah. Because they were the ones who had most of the kedushah. You can't just, they were carrying kedushah. You can't just forfeit that. So just like a tefillin that is a pouch for the writings of Shema and has to be nignaz because a mitzvah was done, they did a mitzvah with their bodies by keeping these nitzotzot. Therefore, those bodies also have to have kedushah. Just as mitzrayim was zocheh to a burial, and therefore, those nations that did not respectfully keep those nitzotzot that was in them, they became too wicked, they became too filthy, they destroyed the nitzotzot, those are not called those are not called holy receptacles of kedusha, because what did they do? They, they, they made the kedusha within them foul, and he brings an example, he says just like, just like, in Parashat Matot he writes, over there because he writes that, um, if you have an Aron HaKodesh, you build an Aron HaKodesh that somehow is detrimental to the Sefer Torah that's within it. It was ruining the Sefer Torah that was within it. That Aron HaKodesh has no Kedushah, you don't have to bury it. You can throw it out, destroy it. Why? Because it wasn't properly keeping the Kedushah within it. So there's no Genizah needed for that. So it says here also, the Yevanim, Gog, the Egyptians, <coughs> they get proper burial because the Nitzotzot they had, they had so much of it, they kept it properly. At least for a certain amount of time. So they get proper burial just like, a, just like anything, a covering for a Sefer Torah. How is Aram Kodesh not Kodesh? I just explained. He said, uh, if you have an Aron Kodesh, that, what, can, what would constitute lack uh, of holiness? Uh, I, I don't know. And, uh, let's say... Um, they use pig skin inside it? Yes, it was very smelly and it was disrespectful to the Torah. Even if they put the Sefer Torah in it and they kept it for a while, after you want to just get rid of it, you get rid of it. That's what he's saying. So he says, therefore, those people that didn't keep those nitzotot the way they should, that's why over there in Yechezkel it says, their bodies shall be given to the birds of the sky as prey, birds of prey, to be eaten. They don't deserve burial. It could be any nation. It could even be from Shem. That's what he's saying. It says, those reshaim of Am Yisrael, lo alenu chas v'shalom, that did not proper safe keep the nitzotzot of Kedushah, they don't deserve the proper burial. Beim can, so therefore, it emerges, ha'asifa zodavka gorem etzof tirun ha'olam, that this gathering of nations against Bnei Yisrael will actually cause the final perfection of the world, <clears throat> which is this war of Gog Magog. It's not just, it's not merely taking place at the end of the world, <coughs> it will actually bring about, as the sparks will be released from the nations, 
it will bring about the perfection of the world. It's a part of the perfection of the world. Because the war with them will bring about the freedom of these holy sparks. Bezehu, this is why the Pasuk, as we said, Then I will be exalted and sanctified. How? By these nitzotzot finally coming out and being captured by the true nation. They will be gathered. They will become greater. Then only goodness will remain in the world. That's when we say Hashem will be one and His name will become one. How? Because all these scattered nitzotzot will finally come back to its final resting place with Bnei Israel. And it will be fulfilled and it will become full by the unity of Am Israel. <coughs> And as for what we find with regard to the wicked people of the descendants of Shem, as it says in Yirmeya, they will not be gathered together, nor will they be buried. Because they corrupted their ways. And they defiled their neshamot. And he says, this is in contrast to the nation of Yefet that did not do so. All of it points to the same place. Now, this last part, I don't understand either. What the Zerah Shimshon means, that Yefet did not desecrate these Nitzotot. In what, in what way they did not defile the Nitzotot of Kedushah? I don't know. I don't know. Even though the they were sworn enemies of Am Yisrael for so long. What it means that they, that they did not defile it, I don't know, maybe it goes back to when <coughs> Yafet covered his father, I don't know. But all in all, I think this was one of the most interesting and, 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 and beautiful uh, Zerah Shimshons, or altogether a perush on the war of Gog and Magog and why altogether we have to have this war in the end of days. It is not just that Moshiach will come after. No, it's this war that will really bring out Moshiach. Because this war is what will capture all those lost nitzotzot. And we learn through it as to why Yafet deserves burial. was because they had so much of these nitzotzot. And just like something that was used for Devar Kedushah has to have a proper burial. So too, the bodies of Yafet... Gog also deserved the same type because they kept those nitzotot as well. And after releasing them, they deserve proper burial. Is that for Gog or is it for Magog? It's both. It's both. The nation of Magog with Gog. Yeah. This nitzotot has nothing to do with Jews who got forcefully, neshamot of Jews that got forcefully converted to whatever. <coughs> no. No, the nitzotzot are just energies, so to speak. I think that's the best way I can put it. They're energies that, positive, holy energies that were scattered within the 70 nations of the world. So what happens to the Jews that were forced, converted, or whatnot? What happens to the Jews that were forced, converted? There's a lot of different shatim that, it comes, that comes to mind. But it says that in the end of days, in the time of Moshiach, before the time of Moshiach, all those lost souls come back. come back. Those that need to come back. Some don't. And some souls, some neshamot that are already on the side of Bnei Israel go to the other side before Moshiach. How so? It says that when the time of Moshiach arrives, HaKadosh Baruch Hu kind of wants to clear the slate. Kind of level the playing field. How? It says, when Bnei Israel said, Na'asev Har Sinai, when we said Na'asev we all said it in unison, right? But some felt they were forced to do so. Some would have rathered maybe not saying it. 
not accepting the Torah. But we went with the robe with the majority. You know? And there were also on the other nations, it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu offered the Torah to all the nations. And they all turned it down. But it wasn't all of them. Some people would have, would have wanted to join and receive the Torah. But the majority of their nation said they don't want it. So they were taken with the rov, with the majority of their nation. It says in the time of Moshiach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows all those neshamot in the other nations that actually wanted the Torah. So what does he do? He makes it so that their children, those neshamot, convert to Judaism before Moshiach comes. And those Jews that were within the Jewish nation, Bnei Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that didn't want the Torah, but they said Nasev Nishak because everybody else did it. Before Moshiach comes, they leave. And the Erev Rav? Those that were true people that actually wanted to join the nation of Am Yisrael, they stay. Those that didn't. Rabbi, is that true? Hold on. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen. Amen.